Hello and welcome to Ask Matt. I'm Eugene Cordero, Professor of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State, and I'm founder and director of Green Ninja. Green Ninja is a California-approved middle school science provider that helps students use science and engineering to solve real-world environmental problems. I'm here as always with Matthew Delasio, geology professor from Cal State Northridge and chief author of the 2016 California Science Framework. Matt is a national expert on science learning and was one of three chief authors on the California NGSS standards. I met Matt a few years ago and he agreed to be on our team at Green Ninja to help us as we created our own NGSS curriculum. And we learned so much from Matt that I thought it would be great to share some of his wisdom and insights with others. So here we are. The format of the podcast is I'll ask Matt a series of questions about science, science education, and NGSS, and likely we'll all learn some more about how to make this transition to NGSS easier and more rewarding for everyone. If you have any of your own questions, just send them to info at greenninja.org, and I'll share some of them in a future episode. So let's get started. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Still hold up here at my, I'm, I'm giving this podcast live from my closet right now. Locked the door to keep my family out. And here we are. Are you spending a lot of time in your closet these days? Not a lot. I, I spend a lot of time out there with them, only when we're doing recordings and things like that in my class sessions. So, Well, we've made it through a week or two of teaching from home um, and from our closets. Um, and I know you've been doing some of your own online teaching at the university, but also some of your children's classes. And uh, so today we wanted to focus on this distance or remote teaching and learning. Um, do you have any background about this distance learning, Matt? There's always there's been a, a lot of pressure in recent years to to move uh, our classes online at the college level, uh, and that's because it provides our students more flexibility. A lot of the students in the CSU system are working, and so we've provided a lot of uh, usually asynchronous online. That means that people can log in and work on things at their own time and their own pace. And so I developed our department's big online offering called Geology Goes Hollywood, uh, which is a online course, and then worked on sort of using that as a as a study a study case and, and wrote a couple of papers about how well things worked and what worked about it. And uh, uh, one of the things that we were trying to do when we designed that course, even though it was asynchronous, as uh, we were trying to make sure that we kept the human aspect of things. We wanted students to work together. We wanted them to work together in teams and tried to figure out ways that they could do that uh, asynchronously, making team decisions about things. So for example, one of the scenarios is they have to choose where to build, uh, which house to buy in earthquake country. And they, each one of them becomes experts on a different type of geologic hazard. And then they share that information, teach the other people on their team. And then they together as a team come to a consensus about what they want. And the idea is that really because online classes are so isolating, that they, they tend to have a high failure rate because people just don't feel engaged. Uh, but what makes people feel engaged is when they feel connected to their to their student other students and to the faculty members. And so we looked at ways to accomplish that more effectively and came up with some successes and, and some failures. Yeah, and, and we, we talked a little bit about that our last time, but um, I think we're all in this together learning about like how to make this work. And so that's interesting about that human element and, and trying to keep students connected either with other students and, or with you as the instructor. Can you tell us about any recent experiences you had? I think you, you're helping out in some of your kids' classes right now. Yeah, I have the great opportunity. Our teachers have been more than enthusiastic to uh, to uh, allow me to run some Zoom science sessions uh, live, uh, as they say in the online world, synchronous classes. Uh, and the beauty of this is where we get everybody together on a big Zoom conference uh, from the classes. And this is sorely needed for our, our kids' classes because they feel very isolated. They don't, they miss all of their friends. And so we've 
get you know 35 35 uh, uh, third and fifth graders on on zoom uh, with their little videos and give them a chance at the beginning to to talk to each other to to just sort of catch up on what they're doing and what's exciting and share they get to sit there with their dog in their lap or their somebody brought a chicken that they have in their family and, and showed that <laughs> off and oh that's fun again just building that social connection uh, is the first part of it and then we do some some NGSS science uh, as best we can through Zoom. And how's that been working? Well, it's been both uh, amazing and positive in some ways and, and less in others. Uh, I'd say that uh, I, I think we have about, like I said, about 35 students each time. And the sessions are a little bit long still. I've, I've got them, they're, they're running over an hour right now just because I haven't been good at time management on things. And I'd say that I really only have about less than a third of them, a quarter or a third of them are, are engaged by the end. You can watch them as they're spinning in their chairs uh, in the video, uh, completely disengaged. The chat window is uh, a mess. Sometimes I have to disable that uh, as they sit there making, going off topic about things and saying hi to each other. And so those are the, the down parts about it. But the up parts are that we really have been able to do some really rich lessons. We've, we've gone outside. We did a, a, a scavenger hunt where they collected different leaves from, from their backyards or gardens or outside on the street. They brought those back. They took pictures of them. And then we analyzed them. And then we connected that to a lesson where I had provided them pictures of, of leaves to, all to scale from uh, different environments. And then we looked at the correlation between the amount of rainfall and the average leaf size. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were able to draw some inferences about that, the patterns that they saw from that. And, and you know, like I said, a, a quarter to a third of them really were able to give good evidence-based uh, explanations about what was going on there. And the rest of them I lost because I'm, I still haven't mastered how to keep people engaged in, uh, you know, how to keep the third through fifth graders engaged in a Zoom conference. Uh, you know, I, I, despite the fact I have a lot of experience designing curriculum, when it comes to classroom management, uh, I, am, I am a college professor, a high school teacher, but not necessarily as skilled uh, uh, at the, uh, the, the, the K-5 level. Yeah, that's definitely, a, um, are, are any parents involved in their students learning at that point when you're doing this um, online? Thus far, I've seen a few parents have it hovered over and sometimes they come over at the end and say thank you, um, but we haven't really engaged them, but we're, we're gearing up for one of our lessons next week that we're gonna be doing uh, that's gonna definitely require some parent engagement. We're gonna be modeling lava flow using corn syrup and everybody's gonna be uh, <laughs> able to, to do this at home looking at different viscosities and how they can change the viscosity of corn syrup by changing its temperature and some other fun things. But this is gonna require their parents to be engaged as everybody has to go out and, and buy a, a jar of corn syrup uh, is, is one of the materials that they're gonna to need to do. And we'll figure out how to make that work. Um, and then kind of reflecting on the, I think you've, you've given a few of these synchronous Zoom um, classes to these students. What other insights do you have about how to engage some of those other students that are are by the end of the class, like you said, spinning around in their in their chair. Well, definitely, uh, we've we've been looking to figure out ways to get them more involved. You know, the the idea of sending them outside every so often to to look at some stuff has been a, a, a successful thing. But even then, you know, just uh, we we vote with things. Like I'll put a slide up on the screen that will have two sides and you know two different statements, and then I ask them, everybody, point with your hands to the side that uh, that uh, you you agree with, and then in the video I get this instant polling. 
uh, but also they get to use their bodies a little bit more. They're clearly, they're not getting enough. They're not getting outside and, and running around nearly as much as their little bodies need to. So we mm-hmm. need to find ways to do that. I think uh, engaging in stretch breaks uh, more often would be a, a good plan for me to do, but just trying to, to be aware of the, of the attention spans that, that, are, are, that are there. And, and it's even harder, I suppose, than, than a, a usual classroom teacher faces because in the usual classroom, there's a designated resource, uh, recess time and a designated lunch time. And those kids yeah. are running like crazy during that time and having a great adventure. And we're not getting that right now, uh, even for people that, uh, that do have backyards. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that raises the question about, you know, what does this online learning mean for, you know, for kinesthetic learners, for people who, you know, kind of learn best through, through motion or movement? you have any thoughts on that? Well, anything that you could do in a classroom with motion or movement, you should also be able to do uh, uh, via Zoom, although I guess that's not entirely true because you, you, sometimes you need to have students interacting together uh, with their kinesthetic motions. But certainly there's a lot of stuff that we can do. Just, you know, put your, put your, put your computer on the table and everybody move with me and do something and we can act out uh, things quite a bit of, uh, I think there's interpretive dance has been a fun activity that I know that uh, some teachers have engaged in. and. Uh, you know, you can have people put on little performances with their camera, set their camera up and put on little performances and that can still happen. Hand motions, moving your body as you, as you respond to questions, that all can happen uh, just, on, just as much as it can when the kids are sitting at a desk. Yeah, and I, and I actually think that even older kids appreciate those opportunities as well for movements. So I don't think this is just exclusively for the K-5 group, but um, no, it's totally hard to, agree, yeah. yeah, it's just hard to sit all the time. And if your students haven't had a chance to move around a little bit, then maybe taking advantage of, well, let's do some stretches or something like that, take a stretch break, um, lead them through. I've seen some people leading their students through a little yoga or even a little meditation or something just to give them something a little bit different that could be helpful. I'm curious about, uh, I mentioned earlier about parents and what has been your experience, at least in your teaching with, with those classes, but maybe even more broadly, about parents' role, and especially if they're busy with their own work, how do you see that unfolding inside in this kind of environment right now? Yeah, I mean, one of the neat things that we have is the the chance that parents are actually usually around in the room, uh, and they actually can overhear what's going on in a way that you know this is what I'm doing at least is I'm I'm vaguely listening to what's going on with my students or with my kids when they are when they are working on things when they have a Zoom conference. I'm there hearing more than I would normally when, I, when they're in the classroom far away from me. So it's, it's kind of neat and I can ask more questions. So I, I suppose really the, the thing to do is to, to try to, as, as we as parents receive emails from our teacher, I think it would be great if my teacher sent some specific questions that I should be asking to, to, my, to my students or to my kids. Ask them about this uh, and that should happen in the classroom as, as, as well, when they're, you know, when they go back to, to classroom as normal. But I, I, to be honest, we actually have more communication with our teacher than we've ever had uh, because they have to communicate with us uh, at the elementary level, especially this, we are the gateway to getting to the, to the information to the kids. And so it's been really nice to be sort of playing a part in that, uh, even though it's been hard to juggle it. But really some very specific targeted things that a teacher could give me to ask my, my students about would be, would be helpful. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. And uh, I know that the teachers are trying to keep in touch with their students in, or in various ways or through parents and providing some of those questions, those prompts, I think is a great way to allow the learning to, to 
evolve in a different way. Um, and it's nice to hear that you're appreciating the ability to hear what your kids are doing. Um, and uh, of course, you as an educator take advantage of that, but helping other parents take advantage of that opportunity as well. Um, because if the kids are going outside and gathering a leaf and the family's around, they're, they're noticing that as well. Maybe they talk about that leaf and the patterns that they observed, you know, over dinner or other times. Yeah, we should definitely be encouraging more of that. And I'm, I'm, you're giving me you're giving me some good ideas for, for for my next science session as I as I do that to try to make sure that we actively engage the parents in a in a productive way that doesn't intrude too much because I also know that they're juggling and uh, many people have less flexible uh, juggling experiences than I get. I have a wonderful opportunity here to lock myself in a closet and <laughs> other people yeah. don't get to do that. My closet, I don't think I could lock. Well, I, my closet is so small that I don't think I could actually fit in there. But uh, <laughs> let's dive back into NGSS. And, and as one of the authors of the California framework, what guidance is in the 1700 page document that could help us as teachers in this distance and remote teaching environment? Oh, I think we'd be hard pressed to, to point to a spot where we explicitly talk about online instruction anywhere in there, which is, I, I admittedly, now that I think about it, would have been something we could have uh, thought through a little bit and put in there. But what I, I can say is that the framework was really clear about this is not a, the, the biggest shift of NGSS is that we are no longer sage on the stage pushing content to our students. And I know that that's the very first knee-jerk reaction from all of our teachers is, oh my gosh, what do I, what content can I push to my students and to tell them about things? And they're finding online videos. And so many of the online videos that are produced are, are wonderful, fun to watch, but there really are just let me tell you about this and I'm gonna reveal all the answers and very few of the, the, the videos that are produced are really uh, engaging, engaging students in, in asking questions or, or playing a part in figuring stuff out on their own. That's not the medium that, that documentary films are not, <laughs> not to, that's not how they're, they're together usually. And I think that's you know, the, 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 the three dimensionality of NGSS. It's not just about the DCIs. So that's, that's kind of an interesting, interesting uh, point to make is that when you're trying to design instruction for online here as we're trying to get stuff to our students to work on, we don't want to just be giving them that one single dimension of disciplinary core idea content being told to them. And so how do we do that? That's uh, more of a challenge, I admit, but uh, that's, that's the guidance that the framework gives uh, about what not to do. Now it becomes a matter of how to figure out how to actually accomplish that in an online world. Yeah, I, I mean, I was talking to a teacher last week and, and we were discussing about how they are trying to, to modulate their instruction. And one thing that came up was, let's just focus on one of the SEPs that, that we have been thinking about. And, uh, and it happened to be um, asking questions and let's just remind students that asking questions is part of doing science. And so let's try to find some more opportunities to, to focus on that science and engineering practice in whatever way makes sense. Anyhow, so, so kind of you're, in summary, you're saying let's keep our eyes on the prize of, of three-dimensional instruction and, and finding opportunities for students to try to figure things out um, and, and giving them the, the, some opportunities for that and not having to worry about, oh, I have to just push them direct content all the time. That's, um, that's exactly, yeah. You know, we've been hearing back from a variety of different school districts around California and how they're responding to having to close their, closing their schools. Um, and there's lots of different approaches. Um, and CDE actually came out last week with some guidance as well. But Matt, do you have any advice for district admins today? 
I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, really plugged in too well with that community. What I am, the community I'm plugged in most with is teachers, and I know that one of the sorely underappreciated aspects is uh, is helping support teachers in their professional development and professional learning. They're given vastly insufficient amounts of time and resources and investment during everyday times, and so I, I really um, hoping that district admins are are going to be supporting their teachers in giving teachers an opportunity to take time to do the, the professional development they need. I know that uh, our district here at LA Unified has uh, added some extra pupil-free days that they are specifically not asking teachers to do instruction on those days and instead asking them to come together for professional development. I have no idea how effective that professional development is or what they're planning on that. But in principle, that is exactly what teachers need is they need a, a little bit of time to get support and work on things together collaboratively because um, it's impossible to do this alone. It's impossible to create curriculum alone. And just being aware of that fact that teachers need time, they need support, and they need to do things together. So they need the, the admins need to facilitate all three of those. Yeah, great point. I'm interested in what LA Unified is doing, but I'll just share that one of the districts we're working with here in the San Francisco Bay Area has told their teachers, well, you can't ask students to do anything until April 17th or some, some date. So students, so basically schools closed, online, offline. Have you heard that uh, in other places? And I'm kind of curious about LA Unified. I have not, no, we, uh, we, had, uh, we had no closure at, uh, at uh... Uh, maybe I think, or maybe one day closure. I'm trying to remember now. But no, they they basically gave the teachers no time to transition to fully, fully online at home instruction, uh, and that was um, maybe uh, a little bit uh, <laughs> a little, a little bit, ambitious. Uh, ambitious. I mean, they have they they're you know they're they feel the pressure of the 180 day uh, instructional calendar and and not feeling like they have a lot of days that they can cancel to do things, but they 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 need to is uh, to make this work and that's, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it, it is very interesting. Um, I think that one of the issues that's come up in the district that I'm mentioning and some other districts is about equity. And so the, the district was, was thinking, you know, not all of our learners have access to computers and, or even Wi-Fi. So we're not going to do any education because we can't provide the same kind of level of education for everyone. And yet I believe CDE last week was saying, you know, we need to continue to educate our youth and you guys got to figure it out. So um, there's, how that's a tough you know, there's a lot of people stepping up for this. Uh, the, you know, the, the cable companies and internet providers are all providing it here in LA free access to internet uh, and can install internet for people for free during this crisis. Um, and the, the district is giving out computers, loaning out computers and things to anybody that needs it. And uh, I know that at CSUN, they asked all of our, all of our uh, faculty in our department, uh, you know, what extra computers do you have sitting around that you can loan out to students or give to students um, oh, great. Uh, so that people are trying to come together to to basically address this equity gap and uh, it's it's not going to be whatever the, the equity gap is more than just technology it's uh, there's a huge equity gap and you know who has to go to work and whose kids are sitting uh, isolated at home uh, without any real supervision and uh, yeah. those those sorts of equity gaps are, are much more substantial problems that we're not going to get around but the technology one is an issue, but hopefully we can, it's something that I feel like we can actually fix. We can get a computer into every kid's hand um, mm -hmm. if we actually do a little bit of work at it and we can get internet to every kid if we do a little bit of work at it and people are willing to make that happen. The remaining equity issues are still gonna be on the table, but give us a couple of weeks and we can probably sort that out uh, amazingly, surprisingly fast. <laughs>
Yeah, well, anyhow, those, that's a good point. And so um, at least trying to solve some of the technology issues is the first step. I'd like us to focus a bit of attention on one of my favorite cross-cutting concepts, structure and function. Matt, what is, uh, what is this cross-cutting concept, structure and function? Well, those who have a life science background are probably familiar with this phrase, uh, and it's very popular in the life sciences. Uh, but we, we want to make sure that everybody, I'll show you, talk a little bit about how it, what it, how it works in life science and then extend that to all the sciences uh, as it really does have an applications cross-cutting. Concepts have application to all of them. And so structure and function begins as, you know, anytime you have a particular structure on an organism, it is usually there because it helped, it adapted, uh, the organism adapted uh, for that, that structure for a particular reason. So usually like we were looking at leaves and why are some leaves bigger than others? And that was the class that I did uh, a couple of days ago with my, my third and fifth graders. And the answer to any why question when you're talking about an organism is always because it helps the organism survive, grow, or reproduce. Mm -hmm. why every every structure is there uh and you can always answer that and then you have to go into detail now okay how does that structure help them you know survive grow or reproduce and that's the more interesting question but that's essentially the, the the question with structure and function that you've got for for life science but you'll see this in uh earth science as well when we start looking if anybody's ever driven along a freeway and seen those layers of rock that's a structure so what was the function or process that brought them about. So I, I, structure and function uh, in, in other fields can often be thought of as structure and process. So what process gives rise to a particular structure? Uh, and you mm -hmm. can do that in terms of, of molecules and looking at that at the molecular level and you know, water has this particular property that uh, really comes about because of its unique structure why is it that water has that unique structure? Or if you really get into the graduate level of understanding molecular bonding and angle bond angles and things like that, you can, you can really start asking these questions in a, in a rich way. So there's always, whenever you see some sort of a shape in nature, it always comes about because of some particular process that gave rise to it. And we, of course, then get to engineering, uh, the, the fourth pillar of the, of the, of the, the, the DCIs. And uh, in engineering, structure is super important for function uh, when you're talking about physical objects and mechanical engineering. You know, why do you, why do you build a bridge the shape it is? It's because that structure has uh, a, a key role and plays a purpose there. So structure is the, is the, the, the cross-cutting thing. And whether it's the function of that structure or the purpose of that structure or the process that brought that structure about, I think is how we sort of adapt that cross-cutting concept to all of the DCI fields. And you do a nice job, Matt, of, of illustrating, you know, cross-cutting concepts being important for how we think about science and how it could be applied to all those different science areas, the same cross-cutting concept, structure, and function. I'd like to kind of finish this section up by looking at silver linings when, you know, this is a tough situation for us as a community, I say as our, as our city and state and country and on planet, um, but also as, an, as educators. And so I wonder if is there, what silver lining can we offer to teachers today when faced with the challenges that they face right now? Well, uh, usually I, I like to think about how uh, uh, limitations force us to be creative. Uh, and right now we've seriously limited our educational opportunities. And, and I give an example of this that I don't know if, I've, if we've talked about this before, but I, I used to teach uh, at San Quentin State Prison. Uh, I volunteered in a program there in the college program and taught math and also geology. 
and it was an environment where we had very strict restrictions about what we could bring into the prison for obvious reasons. You know, if we wanted to bring a rock sample and it had to be a small rock sample because mm -hmm. they didn't want something that was dangerous and could be used as a tool. You know, we, yeah, all sorts of limitations. And so when faced with those limitations, I, I couldn't bring in a computer actually. That was not something that was not allowed to be brought in. So how do you teach where we like to show rich animations of stuff going on what did I end up doing? I ended up uh, working and really amping up my kinesthetic activities where I have students acting out plate tectonics where they're, each person's playing a piece of crust and that you know, necessi necessity is the mother of invention, I believe is what they say. And so I think mm -hmm. that we can, we can see that silver lining as, our, as educators is that this is gonna force us to get creative. And even when we do get opened up to our usual uh, resource pool of being in the classroom with kids, the things that we learn from this restricted environment are really gonna help us make those experiences richer when we do get that opportunity. Thanks for that. I think we all need to be um, reminded that uh, of the potential silver lining and good news as far how we can frame this to make this more manageable for us as we continue this somewhat challenging time. I'd like to shift to the next section, which where we talk about climate and the environment. And so we often review some of the latest news in the area of climate science and talk about how to bring such topics into our schools and classrooms. So Matt, we've been thinking about climate change and the environment, both of us for many years, in our own education and in our personal lives. And uh, some of that science and data has shaped our own personal behaviors, the type of food we eat and how we live. And although it's not clear that everyone feels like that, you know, some people you know, have modified their behavior to promote a better environment, a cleaner, healthier environment. Now we're being asked to change our behavior very rapidly. And I'm wondering if you've been kind of struck with how quickly we've been asked to make these changes. And what does this mean for action on some of our environmental problems once we get through this coronavirus? And I'm just kind of curious how you've been kind of thinking about this and its parallels to some of the environmental challenges that we have. It's absolutely amazing what we've, what we've transformed, uh, transformed so much of our, the way we work, the way we teach, the way we live, uh, just in, in a matter of days. Uh, and I know that a lot of us aren't necessarily happy about all of those changes, but, but we are able to make them. And, and, and then you ask the question, why are we making them? Uh, certainly some of us are making these decisions because we're worried about our own personal health. But the message has been from, from our leaders is this is not just about you. This is about your community and, and the people around you, and you need to do this to protect them. I mean, especially, uh, you know, at least for a while, the message was, you know, younger people are, are not as susceptible, and so you don't have to worry about it as much yourself, but you're doing this because you want to help other people. Now the message is changing a little bit as we're seeing that young people are actually personally affected by this uh, more than we had thought before. But that message of hey, you've got to do this for the greater good, uh, has resonated with a large number of people. Not enough, perhaps, uh, but we're really seeing a whole bunch of people leaping into action for the greater good because they know that they want to you know, protect everybody. And so I'm hoping that some of that will translate in. And we're also, I suppose, the other aspect of it is we're doing it because we are thinking long-term. Uh, we're taking this short-term hit to our, our personal experiences because we feel like it will help pay off in the long run. And so much of what we've been arguing about climate action and environmental changes, that there's a bunch of changes that we need to make, but they also are changes that will give us great long-term payoffs. I mean, if we can transform our energy supply so that we don't have pollution uh, you know, belching out into our streets, it's going to be good for us in the long run. We're going to have better health. Yes, it's going to take some, some work to figure out how to accomplish that. So I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, 
that we can sort of run with this greater good and uh, long-term thinking, even if this is a thing like we talked about last time, is a little bit of a microcosm where the greater good has a lot of self-interest in it too here because people are worried about their personal health. And the timeline of long-term with, with the COVID-19 is, is on the order of months instead of on the order of, uh, mm-hmm. of years and decades. So we, we are uh, uh, compressed here, but let's hope we can take the same message and, and uh, extend it to the longer term with climate. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And hopefully when we do get through this and hopefully when we demonstrate that cooperation in our communities and nationally and internationally is what gets us through this, we can apply those, that same type of thinking to other challenges that we have. So um, let's finish up now on our favorite topic related to burritos. And a couple of days ago, I have to admit, Matt, I had a real strong craving for one of my favorite local taqueria burritos. And I actually don't think I've eaten out since the directive to shelter in place, but maybe the time is coming. Can you help me think about how to safely eat this burrito? Because, um, you know, when I start to think about it, I, it, it gets a little, there's a little challenge in this. Yeah, well, last time you talked with me uh, in, our, in our podcast, we, we were not quite sure exactly. This was outside of my realm of expertise about how to, <laughs> how to do this. Um, but now the public health officials have given us some very clear messages here in L.A., at least I'm not sure about where you are. But our mayor is very in favor of, uh, of having us order takeout. Okay, <laughs> um, okay good push that very strongly in saying that we want to support our, our restaurants and our businesses uh, and that there's definitely a way to do that that is compatible with our shelter in place. And so, so that's uh, the, the first that news is that we should be thinking about doing this and this is definitely going to work for us. So uh, uh-huh. how to do it that- safely? Mm, yeah, like in terms, and, and last time we talked about system and system, you know, like you have your home as a system and yeah. what's coming in. Do you have any well, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the uh, I, I read somebody that uh, that uh, when they get a package delivered to their door, they uh, they let it sit out there now for for two days uh, as their as their package self quarantines itself, uh, and so uh, one probably wouldn't want to do that with fresh food like a burrito. But uh, the, the contactless transfer of things, if you do order delivery, uh, you uh, instruct the driver to just ring your doorbell or, or actually even contactless means they just call you on your phone and tell you, I've dropped your food there and you can pick it up a few minutes later and you can remove the foil and then wash your hands uh, from that and you know, remove the foil, put it on a plate and then wash your hands. Obviously, somebody still had to touch the insides to make that burrito and we're trusting that they're following best hygiene practices, but if you are you know, getting food from anywhere in the food supply, it's, it's always going to be prone to that problem of things. So we're, but. Uh, so minimizing the risks as, a, as you can imagine it. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then making sure that you really enjoy that burrito. And, the, and like last week you shared about, you know, good tips to encourage these folks who are, who are preparing our food. Absolutely. So many of the people that are working in our stores, in our, uh, in our grocery stores, in our, uh, all the places, these essential services that, uh, that have to happen, the manufacturing for the medical supplies. There's so many people that are working so hard while I'm locked in a closet here talking to you uh, that I, I have a newfound appreciation for and, and really uh, want to make sure that we are thinking of them uh, and appreciating them in every way we can. So if you, if you can afford those extra dollars as well to, to give to, to the organizations that are helping support people that are in need right now, that's the other thing you can do as you eat your burrito is, is uh, go online and, and give, give when you can for those people that can give. That's uh, here in LA, we have our mayor's fund, which is basically about direct cash assistance to people that need it. And I'm pretty sure that every city has got a 
host of different organizations that could use some extra cash. So whatever you spend on your burrito, match that and give match that and more to give to people that uh, that are working hard and need some help. That's great advice. And uh, I think it's a perfect place to end for today. So thanks for joining us at ASMAT, where we explore NGSS, science education, and the environment with education expert and super nice guy, Matthew Delasio. Thanks, Matt. I uh, really appreciate it today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you.